Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the professor, Greg Dooley, and the pundit, Steve Clark. Men, take the mic. That's right, it's the Professor and the Pundit with Greg Julie and Steve Clark, and we are proudly presented by Nick Hopwood, who's a certified financial planner, founder, and president of Peak Wealth Management, Retire with Confidence. Greg, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. This is the transition between the last week of the year and the two of us heading to the Rose Bowl. It is indeed. So this is a special edition. If you can hear the ambiance and the background noise, we are recording at a VIP section here at Oscar Sports and Grill in Celine. And once more, I got to say, Steve, for all of those who followed, all of those who joined us as new listeners, our last episode hit a thousand listens for the first time. Really? Every episode we've had consecutively has been our most listened to episode. Thank so you, everybody. A huge thank you to everyone, to the guys who've been with us and ladies from the beginning. When we started this up, we thought maybe our neighborhood might listen to us occasionally. Maybe. And and here we are. And again, we, we just keep growing. So thank you so much. And we know the football team success has something to do with that. Absolutely. Hopefully we bring it in a different way for you. So again, if you're a new listener, consider following us. That's the best way. Subscribing and following is, is how we know that you're engaged and you dig us. So we appreciate it. And by the way. Props to Nick Hopwood for supporting us from the beginning. If you are someone who's looking for a financial planner, consider Nick. And I got to say, I watch Nick's social media and their recordings. He has a podcast and I listen to it. And I happen to get a lot of news from Nick on a lot of things like IRA changes for the coming year, HSA limit changes, and little details like that. Oh, it's the end of the year. And we're both over the over 50 crowd. Exactly. And so our our IRAs now are going to increase from 7,500 to 8,000. I learned about that first from Nick. From Nick. And I'll tell you, that's the kind of financial planner you want is someone who cares about those details because that's what matters. So shout out to our man, Nick. But Steve, we picked to record from Oscars. This is our place. This is a place we've been hanging out for a long time. This is actually where we at first joked about having a podcast, conceived about it. And we said, you know, over beers, we have pints in front of us, by the way. Yes. Maybe this is good content for other people to hear our conversations. And that was kind of the idea of the professor and the pundit. Right. This is going to be like how we are on a Friday or a Saturday or quite frankly, a Monday and a Tuesday (laughs) at Oscars talking. And the thing is, you're probably going to hear my belches. So our record episode streak is probably going to end here, but that's okay. We're experimenting a little bit. It's the holidays. What are you having right now? So, you know, I'm such a lightweight with a beer and you know this, Steve. So I don't eat a lot of carbs. Yes. And And that has done you well. Well, it's done me fine. So, for me to transition to a heavier beer doesn't really work, and it actually makes my stomach upset. So I go with lighter beers like Coors, Coors Light. And I know you don't think Guinness is a lighter beer, but Guinness is a lighter beer, okay. like yes, calorie-wise. what I have. Yeah, and so that's what I drink here at Oscars normally. I love Modelo, though, when they have yeah. it on tap here. And yes, they usually they do. do. First of all, beer on tap is the best beer 
and then it's bottles, and then it's cans. Yeah. So you like Modelo on draft. Yes. I'm right with you. But that's not that. what you're drinking now. That looks like, no. a, that looks like a victory no, this beer. Is, this is Hop Slam from Bell's. That's a victory beer. Uh, yes, yeah, that's one of my favorites. This is what we had, by the way, after the Michigan State game, as we watched the final few minutes yep. here in Austin. Added after Ohio State. Came here especially just to get Hop Slam after last year's Ohio State game in Columbus. You and I marched right over after the game. Yeah, outstanding. So we're here. So thanks to Oscar. We're going to hear a few words from Oscar a little later in the show and kind of hearing his, some of his story later. But but that's the kind of place this place is. It's a special place. My kids have worked here. Many of you in town know that. It's the definition of a family restaurant with like a bar area with a great set of regulars that are friends of mine. And I, we love it. But, Steve, we got to get to some news. Yes. One of the things we'll be talking about on the show is our favorite seven moments of the year. We're going to preview the Rose Bowl. We're going to talk about our favorite drinks here at Oscars. You're going to talk a little bit about Rose Bowl history mm. from when it first started in uh, 1901 or 02. Well, it was the 1900 season. People confuse that. But January 1st, 1902 was the conclusion of the 1901 season. So it's just like yeah. the Super Bowls. You know, the Super Bowl, what, well, well, that was actually the C6 season, but it started in 67. Right. It takes on a different flavor, though, when it's January 1st. That just confuses yeah. everybody, including people like me. But this is one thing I have pretty straight. So, like the 98 Rose Bowl. Was the, the 97 championships season. team. Yeah, Rose Bowl. Right. So, so we'll be talking about these things, a little bit of Rose Bowl history. But first, we got to get to the headlines of the week. Maybe it's a headline. Maybe it's not. Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan program actually getting a notice of allegations, including the level one violation. Right. But not for counter stallions. No, no. This was for the, the earlier thing. You know, and it's funny. I look back at all the things we've talked about. It's been really like surreal, like all of the things that we've had to address and discuss. This has actually been on the back burner, no pun intended, on the cheeseburger, but it's the cheeseburger. And by the way, I believe they ordered the Jack Harbaugh cheeseburger, which is actually the ah. cheeseburger that was at the jug that they ordered that was is the one tied to the this out the recruiting right. allegation and the coaching stuff. Did I buy him a cheeseburger? I don't remember. Think <laughs> of it for a moment, Greg. We have bought each other drinks. You have bought more of my drinks than I have bought yours. We have it on record. If we actually, but if we, but we don't have a record of it. We just know that it happened. But do we really expect a coach to remember whether he bought something or not? No, exactly. And by the way, probably didn't buy it. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh's in an, in an Ann Arbor restaurant. It was probably, you know, it probably disappeared. The bill, yeah. But anyway, okay. But Michigan already like admitted to this and that. What they're mad at is how Harbaugh handled the investigation. They feel like they were snubbed or ignored or disrespected and a level one, which is supposed to be serious, but he's already served three games for this. That is serious. That's 25% of your games. Okay. He's already, they've already served the time. So what do we do? How much did Bill self serve for his five level one violations? Four games. Was it? Not 25% of the season. I know. So five level one violations versus this. So will Michigan Michigan fight this? So that's an interesting question. They will try to arbitrate it, certainly. Right. So that's what they do. By the way, Oscars for a while had a special burger here. Speaking of burgers, the Dooley. And people think it was named after me. It was, it was, it was actually named after my son who used to order. A double two half pound burger with really? jalapenos with onion crisps on top, and they made it into a special. 
but it was a full pound burger here, and they called it the dually. And if you if you ask the waitresses here at Oscars for the dually, they'll go back to the kitchen. And if there's a guy back there that worked back in the day, they know how to make it for you. So check it out. All right. All right. So we have that. The notice of allegations have come out, and it it just seems silly when you just had signing day come and go. It was and- actually delivered on this signing right yeah and if people think the timing is gross it could have been delivered the day before where people are still mulling it over right. the final in the final minutes but it's basically after almost every wolverine signed and by the way kind of uneventful no surprises no defections at michigan getting jordan marshall mr ohio the best football player in the state away from the buckeyes who wanted him that's your big headline other than that Jaden davis could be the quarterback of the future for Michigan. And I think you and I would agree how important it is to have a top-notch quarterback leading your team because that's what's going to get you Big Ten championships. Look at all the other mediocre teams that played in the Big Ten this year, and you can cite one thing. They didn't have a quarterback. No, it's critical. And in the early days of the Harbaugh era, it was the big kind of knock or the question mark or the thing that scratched your head. Where is Andrew Luck Jr.? He's supposed to be the quarterback whisperer. He could turn Colin Kaepernick and send him to the Super Bowl. Where's ours? Jake Rudock? No. But he was good, though. He was good, but obviously didn't yield. He was one game short. I know. So here we are with J.J., so we'll see. But I agree with you. Now, who is the kid from Ohio State that they were waiting for the uh, national letter intent? Do you remember his name? Jeremiah Smith. Okay. He basically admitted that he was waiting on the collective to confirm his NIL deal. Right, which is absolutely a violation, Steve, of the intent and the letter of the NCA rules as making NIL an inducement. Explain that a little bit sure. further. So, because we are talking about buying a kid a burger during a COVID period. Yeah, so everybody knows that there are things going on with NIL and suggesting that you come here, you'll get this deal, and even offering it, and there's agents involved, and there's paper passports. I'm not saying Michigan, I'm just saying it happens. Okay, the word, as it was reported, was basically put out that the reason he didn't submit his national letter of intent to Ohio State, he was waiting on confirmation of paperwork from Ohio State's collective. Under NCA guidelines, a collective is a booster. So they are Ed Martin. They are whatever you want to say. So they are just as liable to provide an incentive to a player against their rules to induce them to come to the school. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Everybody knows. Nobody cares. Matt Rule went on a press conference and said, what a quarterback costs, right? That is against the rules to say there's a price for a quarterback. So, Steve, that's the problem here. So, bottom line, good class for Michigan. Great, right? Number 16, number 15, depending on your look at I think they could do a little bit better. But there are guys in place, and we now know that Michigan can take three- and four-star players and make them better. Okay, so transfer portal-wise for Michigan, obviously the coaches are aware of this because every other team other than the top four teams, their teams and players are considering and entering the transfer portal. Mostly Michigan players are not, right, or any of the teams in the playoff. C.J. Stokes, Michigan running back, is an exception. He, he entered the transfer portal. But the, the Michigan coaches have to be on the lookout to see are there good fits, other people we have relationships with in the portal and make sure we get them, you know, consider them, right? So the one guy that Michigan is going to take is the linebacker out of Maryland. I saw that, yep. Jay Sean Barnum. 
Okay. Transferred into Michigan. Now yeah. he got the interception against JJ McCarthy late in the first half. He's now coming to Michigan. He's one of the top linebackers in the portal. Did he keep the ball that he caught and bring it to the sideline? And then can he bring it back to Michigan and give it back? I, I think he'll, that's a great question. I think he'll keep it to himself. I would too. It's good. a good pickup for the Wolverines. Now, going forward, I think it is very crucial to, as soon as the season ends, whether JJ McCarthy and Jim Harbaugh are going to stick around. Yeah, Because that's going to affect the quarterback position going into 2024. What we talked about last week in the podcast was the giant upgrade in quarterbacking in the Big Ten. You could argue that there were three, and I'm even including Ohio State's quarterback, Kyle McCord, is one of the three best quarterbacks in the Big Ten. He's going to Syracuse, but everybody is upgrading their quarterback from last year. Oregon, USC, Washington, Nebraska's going to get better. Michigan State's going to get better. Michigan has to find out what they're going to do, and the, and the top-notch quarterbacks have mostly signed on to other places at this point. Yeah, so an, an interesting thing that I've learned kind of getting in deep with how NIL works and what's actually happening on the ground is this dynamic of where you budget your money. Okay, for NIL. And again, assuming we're all above board and there's opportunities for Michigan, you know, at Michigan, and that's the conversation. Actually, most of the budget, or at least half of the quote unquote budget, if you have a budget, you have an idea, you have investors, you have people that donate, you have businesses, is actually kept for this time period. Why? Number one, all the players in the roster, especially the standouts who have eligibility, they're hearing from people that say, hey, come to LSU. Okay. Number two, right, they have players like this Maryland player in the portal where they need to say, hey, there are opportunities if you come here. That's where most of the budget is. I think most people would assume that most of the NIL focus is on landing recruits. It's actually during this time period where most of the money's in play, from what I understand. Right. So I thought that was, yeah, that was interesting when I learned that. Some schools are adopting the policy of the show me first. And that's where Michigan is at. There's some other Big Ten schools are like that. They want to know that you want to play for them. As so explain to, that, though. Show me. I think I understand what you're saying. But well, like, show it on the field. Show it on the practice. Yes. Show it in class. Show that you want yeah. to be here to begin with and that you're very interested. Instead of just throwing your name out to any top school, it says, who wants me? Who wants me? And it's like, no, I want to be here. And so there are illustrations of that in 2023, 2022 of players that went from other places that wanted to be a Wolverine first, and then they were shown potential opportunities from there. It's sort of like earning your NIL first. You're always going to lose a certain percentage of talented players, whether they're already in college or in high school, who want to be shown the money before anything yep. else first. It's going to be measured to see how much you lose out on those particular players, if, if 90% of the people are show me the money, I mean, you may have to rethink your strategy, but if there's enough quality people that say, look, I want to be with you guys because I want to win. And are there NIL opportunities available? And I'd add Michigan's interested thing. in that. I'd add one more thing. Sure. Can you get me to the league? Can you get me to the league? Right. And we have Ben Herbert and we have this and we have that and we have a track record. Strength and conditioning yeah, coach, most, quality assistant coaches. Lest we forget, most of the money is still in the NFL easily. But again, it's 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 a fraction of the players. But Michigan happens to be doing really well at that right now. So and that's a story they can tell. Right. Mike, who's making the most noise in the portal and in high school recruiting right now? Schools in the South. And why are they doing that? Because Southern schools appear to have no problem coming up with NIL money. But it's also where you hear stories where the well is dried up 
or was never there to begin with. It seems like a pony show a little bit in some of these instances. And people are finding out before it's too late that they just got screwed. Yep. yep, And and that, I think, is happening in certain schools that makes you wonder, how are they getting this NIL money to begin with when they haven't shown any kind of success? Players are no longer, you know, necessarily leaving Power four schools, and now we got to make power some addition four. power five to power we four schools. Mark that the professor of the fun, and we yeah. should probably make I some fun. We should, we should raise our own NIL money to raise the money to trademark it. By the way, with the Florida State headlines, which we could talk about, Let's it might it headlines. might be the power three. They're oh, suing. Yeah. They're suing. They're going against this, the ACC right now. That is news that came out today that Florida State is going to challenge and be the first school ever to challenge the grant of rights. Uh, on the surface, it seems ridiculous, but you never know, depending on how good the lawyers are. But we talked about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. We did. Florida State was not happy with where their future is looking at, with the length of the contract going to 2036, with being their money about half as much as what you get at the SEC and the Big Ten. And then you get snubbed from yeah. the college football <laughs> That's right. You are clearly... Yeah. By the way, none of this would be happening if they were in the playoff right now. If they would have waited, or even if they if they had these thoughts, they would have held off. <laughs> Everything changes in 2024 anyway with a 12-team yeah. playoff. But what it signals, though, is that the best team in the ACC wasn't good enough to be in the top four. Yep, And so... You can measure that with a 12-team playoff and wonder, is an ACC team a one and only? Is a Big 12 one and only? Yeah. And the rest of the at-larges go to the Big 10 and the SEC. Yep. And Florida State says, look, look, we can't even get in as the top dog in this conference. What if you're number two? We're getting paid half as much for limited amount of opportunities. So, yeah, they're going to challenge it. In state court. So they're going to go in Florida state court, which will probably have advocates in the state of Florida. Then what will happen? It'll have to be challenged and continue and make it a federal case. Someone will have to challenge the state. Like The, the conference will have to challenge. The state overruled this and said, you can't do this. It'll make it a federal case. Then we'll see what happens. Exactly. Right. But. Along the way, they may get a whisper in their ear from a couple other schools they see that, hey, we're kind of with you. We're willing right. to go with you. Right. And then you get it up, and then you're gone. And then the the, informed. the ACC vanishes. So we'll see. Keep keep that in mind. And, and what yeah. we're also learning in federal court over the last few years, you could find the right judge in the right district in federal court who might be more sympathetic to your cause. So players are not necessarily longer leaving Power 4 schools just because of playing time or a bad experience. They're just getting better offers yeah, somewhere else. And if you're at a low power four, and I'm talking Indiana, I'm talking about Iowa State, they feel that once you coach somebody up to be good enough, that player's moving on, yeah, looking for the next opportunity. And if you think it's difficult for these coaches, they're not necessarily locked in either. If they're doing a good coaching job, they want to get into those top-notch power four schools too to coach. Look at Jonathan Smith. See ya. Later. So speaking of having a tough time, we got to hit on M hoops a little bit because I was so disappointed in the last game. Can't tell you, you should be surprised. I said in the last podcast about what they're all about and they proved my point. So Florida, Doug McDaniel, great, pretty game. 31. Took some bad shots, in my opinion. Got rebounds, yep. played his butt off. Shot great at the free throw line. Everybody shot he great did. at the free throw line. They finally made the free throws. Probably should have won the game a couple of times. The end of the first overtime, 
They get a rebound. The game is tied. They have a timeout. My man, who I forget his name, is one of the new guys, takes the, the ball off the court with 10 seconds to go. Probably, jacks up a contested three with no one under the court. <laughs> he and didn't Steve, give time for people to get underneath. Steve, it went to the second OT. I turned the TV off. I knew what was going to happen. Yeah. I knew it. And it was so tough to watch because it's so great. It's not football, but it's great when the, the basketball team is rolling. And I love some of these coaches. I love Jawan. I went to school with Jawan. Coach Martelli speaks in my class. I've talked about that here. Jay Smith, I happen to know personally a little bit. Saudi okay. Washington. Yeah. Saudi, I've met at the U of M Club of Ann Arbor because he spoke when I was speaking there. These are great people. I love them. Okay. I don't know a lot of the players. It's tough to watch them, Steve. And they can't close games. And it does look like a oh. coaching problem. It looks like a that you don't know that you've got to either use the timeout or set up a player, go to the hole at the end of the overtime with, with the ball and a timeout. Uh, Isn't I, that a problem? I, I will grant. Are we being I, mean? Well, i tell you what. I will grant that 50% of the coaches want to call a timeout in that situation. 50% of the coaches say, let's move on. How many of them want a jack of three, a contested three well, with someone under the rim? Zero. Dewan looks well, better, though, health-wise. Glad for that. Yeah. But said it last week in the pod, they can't win close games. They can't win close games, and they have now lost 13 of their last 14 decided by six points or less. Oh my gosh. Someone's making a lot of money off that. Someone's making some money off. That's where it's at. And it's not like I'm relishing saying this, but that is how it's going. So that's kind of our news this week in the Big Ten. All right. Well, should we take it to halftime? Let's have a, another round. Sounds good. And enjoy it. Cheers. It's halftime here on The Professor and the Pundit with Greg Dooling and Steve Clark. And now joining us in studio to talk a little bit about football and investing is Nick Hopwood, who's a certified financial planner for Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. Nick, one of these days, Michigan may have to come from behind and go into the hurry-up offense. And that also kind of reminds me of something that I learned a few years ago, that once you get to a certain age, you can actually donate more to your 401k and self-IRAs. It's called the catch-up program after the age of 50. That's right. The catch-up contribution for this year, for 23, the amount is 30 grand if you're over age 50 into your 401. So it's meaningful. It's like an extra 7,500. Like in 2003 at Minnesota, right? Lloyd calls the hurry up offense in the third quarter, right? That's the only way you can come back. You got to take advantage of the catch up. So does that apply to the HSA too? Do they have a, a catch up? They do. It's only a thousand extra, but but they do have that. It's righteous bucks. And we are in the fourth quarter of 2023. So if you want to get a hold of Nick and ask him any questions, or you just want to ask for a couple of ideas, go to peakwm.com. That's peakwm.com. Steve, some exciting personal news that I just learned I don't know a couple hours ago. Ooh. Get this. You're going to tell me first. I'm I was offered one. a full-time job. At U of M. Whoa! Yeah. So nice. not only to continue teaching my now three classes, but another role in recruiting and supporting a minor within the School of Education. And not, a, uh, not an under 18-year-old, but a minor. No, not a 17-year-old. It is a actual minor, like a major at a school. And it's a, a education for empowerment minor. And they happen to have a coaching and leadership pathway, they call it, that people can get the minor. And they're going to have me help promote it. Just found out. And it was actually a surprise a few hours ago. Because I actually had already signed my offer letter as a temporary kind of lecturer at U of M. 
and they revised it and sent back and offered me a full-time job. Well, and so that was cool. Fantastic. Greg. Thank you. You are a winner. I'm not surprised. This is not the end game for you. And I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that you're going to be the Michigan president someday. Mm. But I don't think this is the last rung in your ladder. Thank you. I'm thinking Regent, maybe. Let's see. So let's keep that. <laughs> Speaking of promotion, you'll, we'll get keep... my, you'll get my vote. We'll keep that. And we have a lot of fans here. I see. I see Joe Simon out there. TheMichiganDefenders.com. Of course, the pregame show is here. I see Mrs. Michigan Insider Sherry Weintraub is here. At She's actually listening. She's actually listening. I think she can hear us. We don't have a loudspeaker. Ira himself from the Michigan Insider is here. Um, we are kidding. Now Ira's listening. Mrs. Michigan Defenders Lisa is here as well. So we have some fans. So it's great. <laughs> so let's talk about the Rose Bowls. I see that Michigan, as a favorite, is holding steady. So the Still, money remains on Michigan. It is not the big, steep drop-off that some people were starting to expect. Michigan opened up as a less-than-a-field-goal favorite. It is now one-and-a-half to one, but it's kind of been that way for the last week-and-a-half or so. You know, what Auburn did well was rush the football. Yes. For the tune of, like, 200-plus yards. Exactly. But in the very next week, Alabama held Georgia to less than 100 rushing yards yep. and it was one big play after another Jalen Milrow went from a liability on this team in the summer so much that they went and got a former Notre Dame quarterback to see maybe he could do better he did get benched in week three came back in week four and I have to tell you we want and need J.J. McCarthy to beat Jalen Milrow in other words, to be able to move a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. To, okay. And to escape next level stuff, because if a not healthy J.J. McCarthy, who is not at full speed and is not as accurate, it's going to be Georgia versus Michigan all over again in the Orange Bowl. J.J. McCarthy is the difference maker. And the thing is, they're talking about Jalen Milrow from liability to difference maker within the course of the season. This is more the, the long road. For Michigan, two years later, we hope that J.J. McCarthy can be that complete quarterback. They feel that Jalen Milrow is already there. So in, in the back of everyone's heads, who are Michigan fans and neurotic by nature, that's fans, we're all nervous. We're fearing a repeat of an SEC beatdown like Georgia. And we it's that's natural because we've there's trauma, right? I mean... And we had the same experience in Dallas when we played Alabama and the game was over in 10 seconds. But I think I heard Bruce Feldman go on, I think it was Colin Coward, and say, look, there's probably some recency bias in people's yes. perception of Alabama in that yes. they just beat Georgia. Yeah, yeah. But the week before, they gave up 250 yards of rushing against right. Auburn. Okay, right. well, that's a good matchup for Michigan. So. Looking at it realistically, Steve, what are, do you think, the keys for Michigan here? So on offense, a healthy J.J. at full speed and accuracy is extremely important. Number two, you got to keep the Bama defense honest with the ability to make some a few plays downfield. Don't be a one-dimensional offense like you were against Georgia in the Orange Bowl where you could just simply run. You've got to be able to to make some plays downfield. Now, that's going to be tough because the best part of Alabama's defense is their secondary probably the best in America. And the third thing I think that is key is win the short yardage situations, especially at the goal line, mm -hmm. because we know Michigan's mindset. They're going to go for it on fourth down. Mm -hmm. And I don't find that as a liability. I find that as a good thing. But Zach Zinter is no longer your starting right guard. He is the best offensive lineman that Michigan has had. He is not going to be in this game. 
So I think a huge key in this is because I, I, I'm not, you might say I'm thinking Michigan is stubborn to go for it on fourth down. No, I'm not. But Michigan wants to go for the jugular, but they got to be able to execute. Yeah. And it's going to be without Zach Sinner. So here's one of the good news pieces. I decided to track every one of Blake Corum's touchdowns, especially the ones that were inside the five-yard line. Were they all run over Zach Zinter's side? No. It was fairly equal. Okay. Left and right. Against this Alabama defense, they're going to go for it. They're not going to settle for three uh, inside the five-yard They're yeah. going to go for it. Yeah. So without Zach Zinter, can they still be able to execute? And one of the pieces of good news is they were running over left side, right side right. indiscriminately. That was good to know. So tell me about the defense then. So uh, Alabama's defense, what, what, what are the keys here? Jalen Milrow would become what we hope J.J. McCarthy is going to be in this game. So you've got to be able to contain Jalen Milrow. He is fast and he is strong. And their handicap has turned into a strength. Number two, defend the deep ball. Because one of the things I learned in the SEC championship game is they chuck it up. They got three opportunities to make a big play happen. And if they don't get it, they'll punt and they'll live on for another day. I love having a big guy like uh, Makari Page back there to defend the deep ball. Yeah. And then the third thing they got to do is end Bama possessions with that tackle for a loss or a sack on third down. Do it often enough. One of the surprising things is Michigan won anyway, despite a sack and only having one hurry. But the one hurry was Rod Moore's interception. interception. That's right. That's funny. And I saw... um, Urban Meyer defending Kyle McCord, like as a good quarterback. Like, I don't I don't really know him. He knows my family. And he said it was the right read. He just got hurried in that play. Otherwise, he'd probably still be a Ohio State quarterback. But you're right. That was huge. That was a big play. I, I feel that the defense has to make their plays in the backfield. The great news is this is not what we grew up at Michigan in college with a slow, plodding, heavy defensive line. These are fast guys who are out on the line who can play the game horizontally. So Jalen Milrow is going to get his carries. He has more rushing touchdowns than the top two running backs at Alabama combined. He is the big play threat, both on the feet and both through his arm. And that is going to be a huge key in this game. He's probably going to get some of his, but don't let him be Superman. I will say... If you believe in fate and a, and a good story and all of those things that often are told about championships teams after the fact, this team seems to have it all. It seems to have the right story, the right, right. captains, the right, right people who came back. Everyone agrees. And again, opposing fans will say this and that, but no one really says anything bad about Mikey or, or Blake. I mean, no, just not against the player, not, yeah. against, not against the players, but you know what the rest of the nation sees? They see people look at the quick glance and say, this isn't going to win the game because they see it as Nick Saban. So many semifinals and Harbaugh hasn't won a bowl game since the 2015 season. And they just look at that and says, there's your, there's your story right there. But see to me that, that fits the, the storyline of what championship you have to overcome this. All right, Steve jerseys. So Michigan's wearing blue. I prefer blue over white. It's it looks really cool, and the bowl games it always looks better because it's our home jersey. Yes, so we get that privilege because we're the higher seed, and I was the number one seed. So they put the Rose Bowl patch with the sponsor patch, which they always put on bowls underneath the Big Ten logo on the right side of the jersey. Yes, but and I know that because they showed a picture of them sewing it on on Twitter. But what they didn't show, Steve, was the shoulders of this jersey. Right. And it seemed deliberate. Now, 
Call it a hunch. Okay. But I wouldn't be surprised if you see silk screening of the Rose Bowl 2024, Big Ten Champs 2024 on the left and right shoulders like they've done traditionally in the big bowl games, like they did in 1998. I wouldn't be surprised if you see it out there. I would I'm, love it. I think you're going to see it. And I would buy it. I would buy it in a heartbeat because one of the things that I enjoy having is my 1990 Rose Bowl jersey. Which you, was that the one you wore? Was it? That was awesome. What that was is it was Trip Wellborn's backup jersey. At least that's the story I've been told. Something happened to his original jersey. It was there for him. Like it got torn or something like that. Now where did you right. get that? I got, I, it didn't in know that. I got it in 1990. I know from who. It was a special order from Menden. And the, the idea was that these were the jerseys that were not used in the game. Oh, I see. They not were used them. in the game. Okay. Wow. And at the time. Now, this is what's great about it. Because I remember how much I spent on that jersey. And it was like, wow, this is a lot of money. Like 65. <laughs> <laughs> laughing. But at least Menden without, you know. But he knows it's $65. It's not, not really a lot of money now. I love it. That's funny. And it's a good transition because we're right around Christmas. What do you get a Steve Clark like for Michigan stuff for Christmas? Because it's hard for us because we get so much exposure to the team and stuff. And we're such nerds. Like, I know, like, the pictures that you have in your basement, for instance, they're personal to you. Like, and there's there's a tie to your family and your wife who loves Iowa. And I love that, right? But maybe it's a Michigan Iowa moment or something like that. But it's not on the rack at Walmart. No. And it's not even on the rack at normally at MDEN, apparently. That's a part of the selection process. I'm going to pretty much walk into anybody else's basement or their garage or or their office, and they're not going to have the same things I do. Yeah, same. Um, Because I want it somewhat exclusive. I also want to be there in the moment. Personal. I, 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 I want to say I was there when it happened. So... I won't have something at a bowl game that I wasn't at. So no, I'm with you. And why am I excited about I'm going to the Rose Bowl. Michigan wins this one and there's something meaningful. Yeah, I'm going to shell out the money for something exclusive that nobody else can have. And I'll have it professionally done. Yeah. And that's the problem with guys like, like you can't buy me anything. We're like special. Like, we, <laughs> like why would you try? Like, no, no, Greg. Yeah. I, I have one ticket from every game. In Michigan Stadium history on my wall Which is one and I love it. It's unbelievable. Um, but that's not a thing you could buy nope. me. You could buy me the you know, 69 Ohio State game ticket, but no one would know to buy that so, for me. So what I like is the stuff right now that I can only get as a media member. Yeah, okay. It's not it's not available. So and I'll put a link in the show notes. And I gave you a copy of this. For a lot of people who collect stuff and collect ticket stubs, I gotta give credit to my man Brian Snyder who put together that ticket stub and program guy that has every ticket stub in Michigan football history yep. that's known to exist yep. with along with every program like chronicled. And the book is like 800 pages. It's kind of a really cool, like niche thing. It's tough to buy for us, but that's how it is. And I did get an offer and I love that Jersey. I was wearing the 90 Rose bowl. He says, uh, we got to get a nameplate put on it. Whose name should I put on the back of the Jersey? My name? No, absolutely not. Red pundit. Or the name of the person who actually should have worn it right, right. in the game. Yeah. 
it's disrespectful to put your name on it because you didn't play on the team. Yeah. If you're getting something that looks exactly like what somebody wore in the game, it's almost sacrilegious to put your name on it. It's probably more worthy to put the name of the person Trip Wellborn. I mean, I don't even think it's a question. If you're asking me, it's 100% Wellborn. Yeah. Yeah. We got to do a little Rose Bowl history. There's a lot of things and a lot of misunderstandings. Now, of course, it's called the granddaddy of them all. All right. So why is that? Well, before you even get to the first Rose Bowl, which was played in 1902, you got to back it up a little bit. So Chicago, Amos Alonzo Stack, the iconic program out of the Midwest, along with Michigan, they had just formed a football team. They actually did a West Coast trip and played a bunch of games after what we'd call the regular season in 1894. This actually predates the existence of the Big Ten Conference. So around that time, the city of Pasadena formed a committee called the Tournament of Roses Committee. And their whole idea was to promote this town, the climate. If you've ever been to the Rose Bowl, you know it's like always a perfect day. And what they wanted to get was... California was less populated back then. They wanted to draw tourists from that from the rest of the country to come check out their town. So they formed this tournament and they did games, they did races and challenges and things like that. So meanwhile, our man Fielding HO is just traipsing across the country, coaching different teams. He lands at Stanford in 1900, and then he eventually wants to go back to the Midwest area. He's from West Virginia, and he lands at Michigan, as we know, in 1901. They win all their games that season. But mm-hmm. this is the misnomer. Most people assume because Michigan was undefeated that they were invited, this undefeated team, to come out to the Rose Bowl, which, of course, is impossible back then. You can't, you can't say, oh, it's November. You're undefeated. Come to the Rose Bowl in a couple of weeks and play our championship game. Back then, logistically, that wouldn't have been possible. Train only. Yeah, this, w- this was planned ahead of the season was a West Coast trip like Chicago did in 1894 to play some games out out West. But they didn't confirm who they were playing and when they were playing and that kind of thing. The Tournament of Roses Committee heard about Michigan's desire to play a game. Yost had just come from Stanford where he coached in 1900, and they agreed on a game. And they actually didn't settle it, Steve, until they agreed on who was covering Michigan's expenses. So money's involved. There was a huge train trip involved. And so Michigan came out and it wasn't a championship game, although Michigan was undefeated and unscored upon Stanford had actually lost the cow. So they weren't even like the West coast champion. So we played them in that first game, Michigan crushed them 49 to nothing. So didn't yeah. allow a point, right? Didn't allow another point. So they, they outscored our opponents 550 to nothing in that first season that Yost coached 1901 ending in 1902 in the Rose bowl. But here's what happened. The Rose Bowl Stadium wasn't built. It was not going to field somewhere in Pasadena back then. They eventually decided to, hey, let's have a regular game. But it took over a decade in 1914 to say, hey, let's have like let's have an actual game here. Then they built the stadium. They named it the Rose Bowl after the Yale Bowl. And then they said, okay, we're going to have this game every year, this football game. That will be kind of a championship game from the East and West. Great. Let's call it the Rose Bowl after the stadium. Great. And that's why, Steve. We use the word bowl for championship games, including the Super Bowl, right? What else? The Pac-10 and the Big Ten affiliation. 
that really started after World War II. Why did we always play the back 10? Why did we do that? Well, after World War II, we decided, hey, we want to do these bowl games. We want to do championship games. And they said, hey, we want to play a, 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 another school, another opponent, another league that has similar views on integration. So race was involved. So they said, we can't invite these teams from the South anymore. They don't allow black players in their teams. Mm. Let's find a conference that has is kind of like-minded to our West Coast sentiments and actually said, let's agree. We have the same academic standards, similar, and similar views on integration. Let's have an agreement with the Big Ten. That's why it started. So Michigan's first Rose Bowl appearance was in 1902. And they won 49 to nothing. Yes, they did. Their second Rose Bowl appearance was what, 46 years later? The Mad Magicians, 1948. And that was also by the same score? Happened to be 49 to nothing. And not even that close, by the way. From what I understand was that the Rose Bowl, based on the 1902 results, said, you know what, this football thing just wasn't good enough. And and let's concentrate on the other aspects of so, the Tournament of Roses. So the Tournament of Roses committee said that wasn't as entertaining as we thought. And they did like chariot races and things like this. Right. And foot races and chariot races and things like this for the next few years. And there yeah. were other schools that participated in the Rose Bowl, but... But Michigan actually had a 46-year separation between their first and second appearance. They did for a few different reasons, but they did. And but so in those early years, they invited schools from all over the country. Once they got it going as a regular thing, Notre Dame played in the Rose Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. So they invited other schools. It was only till like after World War II, with the whole question of integration, that they said we should settle on a conference alignment for who's going to play here. And that's why. Michigan and other Big Ten schools started regularly being the choice. But lots of schools have played in the Rose Bowl because they wanted to show off the city of Pasadena to all these different schools. But then they got kind of narrow on it. And we are broadcasting from Oscars Sports and Grill in Saline, and we are joined right now by the man himself, Oscar, who owns this place, and it's become an institution in Saline. And thanks for joining us here this afternoon. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you guys being here to do this. How long have you been at this location? We've been here uh, 16 years going on 17. It's been a long ride, especially with COVID. You know, remember that time where nobody could go anywhere and every business inside Celine was dealing with survival over that full year. But you managed to keep it going. And I think a lot of that has to do with your patrons and the people that, that really love this place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, can't say enough about the patrons and customer loyalty. That's what's kept us alive, both when we came out of recession and then even out of COVID. We have a moniker on the front door that says, uh, enter as strangers, leave as friends. And we really live by that. It's amazing the way we got started here. I came in working in the automotive industry here in Detroit. And as a result, about 2007, my wife was saying, I need to get something to do. And I'm saying, well, what do you want to do? She says, let's look into different um, franchises and what have you. And we ended up finding this place here. And it was originally a franchise, Wings Pizza and Things. Uh, we opened it up. We got help from the franchise. Shortly thereafter, it didn't work out because recession hit in 08. So it was the wrong time to open up a business. I was still working in uh, IT for you know, uh, Vistion Corporation and just kind of hung in there and made it work. I would say that her family has a background in restaurants. So that's what kind of intrigued her to do something with, with this place. We wanted to stay in the community. And in 08, as a result of the automotive industry just going down, I said, hey, we might have to move again. And she says, no. And the kids, a little older, coming to the school system here in Swing, great school system. 
They said, we don't want to leave, Dad. We want to stay in Saline. It's all right. We're going to have to do something to stay alive here ourselves. And you guys want to eat. The restaurant's the perfect thing to do. So we ended up opening this place up. And ever since then, you know, we've been kind of just here and making it work. Tell us about your thought process about the menu and what you wanted to present to everybody in the community. Wings, Pizza, and Things, they had a menu, which was wings and pizza and burgers and what have you. And things. Uh, and things, right. But when they came in, my wife says, I want to make salsa. That, her claim to fame, this place is her salsa. So she asked the franchise, can we make salsa? They said, yeah, you guys can do salsa. Absolutely. Put some chips and salsa on there. That was the beginning of it, right? And then once we got out of the franchise, which is, I want to say, 2011, we said, okay, we're going to revamp the whole thing. So we said, hey, the chips and salsa work. Let's put some other you know, traditional meals that we make, about five more Mexican meals. Mm-hmm. Keep a lot of the other stuff, the pizza, the, the wings, the burgers, and what have you. And then we'll go ahead and twist it with a few other things. So we ended up putting some saute foods, some pastas, like the uh, Cajun pasta is a big seller for us. I've always said something, let the customers dictate what they like. So we put things out on the special, and we have that special kind of floating around week to week. And somebody will give us feedback. They say, we really, really enjoy this. We really enjoy it. Put it on the menu. And then the next menu, it comes out, and we keep it there. And it's worked for us all along. So what is a menu favorite? El Gordo Burrito, which is the big burrito, named after me, El Gordo. (laughs) And describe it. So... It's got everything in it. We do have both a chicken and a steak variation of it. It's got Spanish rice inside of it, black beans, which we make back there with some pico de gallo. We fill it with those ingredients and the meat of choice, right? The protein, either chicken or the steak uh, or beef. Then we top it off with our house-made salsa, the green salsa or a red salsa. And we put both of them. And then we put cheese on top and melt it. And then we put the lettuce, pico de gallo, and guacamole, all made in-house from scratch. So, yeah, it's a big favorite here. It's a filling dish. People love it. Well, I know that Greg loves the jumbo chicken wings with the special rubs on them. They're very, very tasty. You have a large extensive appetizer list. You certainly have your pizzas. You have a number of main dishes, and you have a number of handhelds as well. So I think it suits just about everybody that you could imagine. The pepperoni rolls, number one seller with the kids. Everybody comes in for pepperoni rolls on a Friday night after a football game, putting those things out, making them by hand. And my wife and I, we enjoy the nachos. And I have something that I even like more, which is the nachos with the barbecue pork right. on right. top of it and the onions. So. Right. Then we have salsa verde nachos, which is a different variation as well. Salsa verde nachos is taking our green salsa we have, right? We do multiple. That Maria started. We put pulled pork almost, but without the sauce. And then we put the salsa verde on top of it. And we put some jalapenos, and people love those as well. It's really good. Well, Oscar, I mean, what would you tell people who have not ever been to Oscars before? And by the way, it's located just in front of Walmart off Michigan Avenue and State Street if you ever want to come by for the first time. What makes you unique compared to all the other places? So once again, we're a neighborhood bar. We consider ourselves a community location. We try to get to know people as much as we can. We walk around tables. We want people to enjoy their experience. We have about 12 to 15 TVs here that have different games. The NFL Sunday ticket. We play all the Michigan games here. Rose Bowl plans. Do you have any? Will the place be open? It's normally closed on Mondays, but are you making an exception? Yes, we are. So we've had several customers that have come up to us and say, hey, are you going to have the Rose Bowl? Are we going to do it? And, you know, like I said, we're a Michigan uh, kind of based sports bar. So as a result, we're going to do something. We're going to open up at four. For the game only, till the end of the game, we're going to have a very limited menu. 
So anybody out there that wants to come in, we will have the game and we'll have all the TVs on the big screen and just have a good time. Screens at every angle, no matter where your seat is. It's at Oscars Sports and Grill in Saline, just across from Walmart on Michigan Avenue and State Street. Oscar, thank you again for joining us and supporting us here on The Professor and the Pundit. Looking forward to the Rose Bowl. Go Blue. We come at Oscars, and I'm an IPA drinker. And right now, I'm having some Hop Slam from Bell's. That cute little glass. Forget the glass. It makes me uncomfortable. Just just measure the content of of what's in it. And it's so smooth. The uh, Hop Slam from Bell's, and I love Hazy. They generally come out of New England, but everybody's kind of producing them. But I, see, I'm more of a lighter beer guy. I understand. Yeah, and I like I like to get a pony of beer here, like a light yes. beer, a Coors or a Miller or a Modelo, the occasional Guinness, like my man Timmy Adams. Mm-hmm. Timmy, by the way, if you're listening, I still have like 18 beers for you. He stayed in my place for the Ohio State game. It is our vibe, and there are there are like two worlds. We're actually on the restaurant side right now. And there's a bar area with regulars that I can see some of the people that I know there. There, there are a few stuff. Norman Cliffs here. By the way, I know our demographic, so everyone understands what we mean. You might be a Norman Cliff. I'm a, a few hugs when I come in and a few shouts. Nami. <laughs> yeah. Greg, tell us an obscure fact about history. How's no. life treating you, Greg? Yeah. <laughs> Before we wrap things up, like the Magnificent Seven. In the stock market. Who are the Magnificent Seven? This is a nickname for these superpower, high-powered stocks. It did like, so well in 2020. Right. And this and it's allowing us to go to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> Maybe. Right. <laughs> so this is this gets back to our roots of things that Steve and I talk about when we're at Oscars, which yeah. is things like sports, stocks, suds, suds spirits. Right. The Magnificent Seven consists of Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta, formerly Facebook, Microsoft, NVIDIA. And Tesla. So, so in the spirit of that, we're going to come up with our top seven Michigan moments of the year. And you came up with your list to me prior to this. So I agree okay. with a lot of it. I did it off the top of my head. In no particular order, by the okay. way. This is not ranked, but yep. my top seven moments I listed out. Yes. Rod Moore calling game, which is the interception in Ohio State. And I got to be in there. Completely agree with you. Ohio State marching down the field, needing a touchdown to win the game. By the way, with Marvin Harrison Jr. sitting over there, absolutely. Yeah. I also included from that game JJ threading that needle to Roman Wilson yes. and and the review and everything. Yes, okay. I completely agree with you on that one. Okay. I added Will Johnson's pick six against Minnesota in the second play of the game. It meant a lot to me personally, but to flip a game that quickly was remarkable to me. Do you put that in your top? It's my honorable mention. Okay. It's an honorable I'll take it. On the second play of the game, Will Johnson has a pick six, and all of a sudden you just go, all right, let's enjoy the rest of our week. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Right. So Roman Wilson's catch off the back of a Nebraska defender. It's one of the best catches I've ever seen by a wide receiver. Unbelievable. Given, like, the gymnastics involved and the – it's just remarkable. So – yeah, and I was at this is the one where I was at I was at a wedding. Right. And I missed and, and you by the right. way, Mrs. Michigan Insider who's sitting right here is texting me, Did you see that catch? And I, and lots of people did that. And of course, there's Ira. And then of course I didn't see the catch because I was asking the barmaid to switch the channel. As for nicely me. as you possibly can as be. Nicely. As you as you outlined in the podcast. Not a jerk. Very impressive. I've seen the pin the ball to the back of the defender's back before, the neck before, the helmet before. But part of it is 
in the moment, Roman Wilson looks like to be about eight inches smaller than the defensive back. I actually yeah. have to look up their actual sizes, and it's not that much different. Okay, but it, it, it's that play, that play actually made it. Okay, so and we use the word moments, and I have to use this moment. Again, it's, uh, it's on-the-field-ish stuff, but yeah. I have to include this. Sharon Moore's post-game interview against Penn State so has huge. to be there. So huge. And I know he got teased and blah, blah, blah. Oh, screw them. Yeah, it didn't really linger. And all the emotion poured out of that whole series of events. To me, that encapsulated it. And it was it was wild. And we talked about it before, how important it was for Michigan to win every game during this sign-stealing saga because you know how everything would turn if they would lose. Michigan's reputation was dependent on Michigan playing well anyway without all of this business. And if they had lost right away, I mean, there wouldn't be a single person outside of Ann Arbor that, that wouldn't think that Michigan had this huge benefit and it started all the way back to 2021 and delegitimize everything. Michigan beating Penn State and beating Ohio State also, shows yeah. that it didn't delegitimize the 21 and 22 Big Ten championships. So right absolutely, I agree with you. No, and, and Moore, the way they did it too with Jerome Moore with running the ball 32 straight times. I know there was the one pass that was, but the way yep. he did it, the emotions came out. It was awesome. Okay, that I agree with you. I don't, I'm not going to go off of this. This was probably my top personal moment with Jim Harbaugh asking Lucas Oil Stadium, "Who's got it better than us?" And I swear, Steve, it was 80 percent Michigan fans. They all stayed, and everybody said, nobody is allowed to say It was awesome. So I love that moment. Maybe you had to be there. You yeah. said on the podcast that you could hear it, but I'm telling you, it like reverberated like a rock concert. Right. TV didn't do it justice. Just take my word for it. The other one that we agreed on? Uh, clinching win 1,000. So I don't know how you define that, but all the signs, all the stuff, all the getting through Maryland, and I don't know what if there was a definitive moment, but the historical moment matters. That we got it, we got it as quickly as we could this year. The thousandth win with the science, with everything that was going on, and all the signs were out there. That was sweet. And the Roman numeral for one thousand is once again is the block M. Exactly. So that was fun. But we had some other ones. Yeah, so a couple of those that would go in my honorable mention was uh, Mike Sandrasil's pick six versus Rutgers, where everybody thought he That's was right. down. You know, he kept and, going. And it was a close yeah. game. And it's just like, what had just happened? Wasn't he down? No. And, and basically, that ended Rutgers' chance of winning. That was on a fourth down play later on in the game. Sandrasil with the pick six versus Michigan State was an exclamation point on a 49 to nothing beatdown. Of the Spartans. And can I give a shout out to my man, Brad Muckenflower of Maze and Blue Nation? I believe he was shooting at the game and his shot, he has a shot of Mikey looking at him with the football running down the field as he's about to score. So shout out to Brad. That was money. I love that. That's pretty good. The two that made on my list, and then you can determine whether that would change your opinion on a couple of things or whether it just makes your honorable mention. Blake Corum scoring the game-winning touchdown against Ohio State just one play after Zach Zinter goes down. Probably belongs in the top seven. Okay. I'll give you that, Steve. And, yeah. then, and then finally, one that's just kind of special yeah. because Alec Preston is not- part of the freak list. And all my selections, by the way, came against Penn State 
or Ohio State. Yeah. Those were the two most important games of the year. Kenneth Grant's rundown of Catron Allen at Penn State. Kenneth Grant is 340 pounds. Catron Allen is a star running back, four or five star running back for Penn State. Kenneth Grant chases him from behind and prevents probably a touchdown that Penn State has and how that could have changed or affected the game, but caught him from behind and got him down. And it was just, I mean, that's just one of those things that's going to stick out to me. I completely agree. The magnificent 11 River we came up with here. I think we nailed him, though. I think I'm sure there's some more moments. And and there's obviously off the field stuff, like with all the events that happen in the news. But here we are. Isn't it great to be in this moment here where we are? It is. When we talk to you next, we will give the aftermath of the Rose Bowl, and it will sound Holy a little moly. bit dated in a week, but uh, we will either be very happy or very reflective uh, about what happened in the course of the 2023 season. But again, want to thank our title sponsor, Nick Hopwood. You can learn more about him at peakwm.com. Without him, this isn't exactly possible to go as long as that we have. And we want to thank you, the listeners who go through this every week, however you decide to listen to, whether it's in your private office space or in your living room or whether you use it to listen to when you go off your walk in the morning. Whatever way you do it, we appreciate you having us in your household. Happy All right. New Year. Go Blue, Steve. So can't wait to see you out there. We might even do a recording or two for the pregame show special at the Rose Bowl on WTKA. Working on it. Yeah, working so. on it. Once again, you are listening to us talk about the three-time Big Ten football champions, the Michigan Wolverines. Go Blue, Greg. Go Blue.